uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and then Nigel will come and bring a message from the scriptures to us. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to see you. Hope you're warm. Um, sadly, it's come to our attention this week, we've been reminded of the power of shame. Shame sells, doesn't it? Shame sells. Whether it's uh, how uh, money comes into a person's uh, bank account for a refurbishment of a flat, whether it be an alleged Christmas party or whether it was a quiz. Our quizzes are always within the laws, I assure you. But um, shame sells, and it's easiest for us to read whatever we read, however we consume our news or hear it or watch it, and we can form an opinion about other people. We feel superior, and we look down from our uh, perch on other people. Here we have an account in Matthew's Gospel of uh, an event that is central to the Christmas message. It's central to the Christian faith. And on first appearance, it looks as if shame is at the very centre of the Christmas story and shame or scandal is at the very centre of Christianity. It's interesting as you look at these familiar verses, verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1, You've got Matthew and Luke who are the two main sources in the Gospels of the adventure of Christmas. Uh, Luke's Gospel very much focuses on Mary, what uh, God did in the life of Mary. Matthew's Gospel focuses not on Mary but more on Joseph. And it's interesting that here you've got the, the father's point of view. The father being Joseph as the earthly father and, and God the father as the heavenly father. And we want us to look this morning as the adventure of Christmas, that's our theme over these four Sundays in Advent, we want to look at the Father's perspective. Clearly Mary is unique. I mean, no one apart from Mary had God actually dwell in their womb. 
But uh, Joseph equally is unique and uh, very central, as it were, to the Christmas story. And here in these verses, Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25, you've got to Jesus coming into the life of Mary, and it will change her forever. But, but as Jesus comes into the experience and uh, planning and purposes of Joseph, Joseph's heart is in his intention to push Jesus out from his sphere of influence. Look at verse 19. Because Joseph's Joseph, her husband, was righteous or faithful to the law. It's a helpful way of understanding it. Because Joseph, her husband, was righteous, faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You've got the balance in that sentence. You've got Joseph, who's a righteous man. He's a law-keeping man. He's someone who it's not strange for him to have the scroll open and to be studying and consuming what was the Bible at that point. He wasn't someone who's unfamiliar with going and listening to the Bible read and explained. He wasn't someone who's unfamiliar with praying to the God of whom the Bible speaks of. And yet, there's a conversation that must have happened that we don't have recorded. A conversation that explains the news that he can um, see and observe with his eyes. That his, his beloved, the one to whom he's betrothed, modern language engaged, but it's more than that. But we'll work with that. The woman to whom he is engaged clearly is visibly pregnant, let's say three or four months down the line. And you can't imagine that first conversation, can you? Joseph may have said something like, well, Mary... I know you look sincere and you know that I love you, but you must have had sex with somebody, which means you've broken the moral law. It means, Mary, you must have broken the law of God. Joseph may have said something like that. But notice this remarkable balance there is between the righteous, loving Joseph and Mary. Look at verse 19 as we have Joseph's response to to this huge, epoch-making, history-dividing moment. Verse 19, he doesn't want to expose her. So we're understanding Joseph's character a wee bit. Joseph is a a righteous man, and yet he's not self-righteous. Joseph is a moral man, but he's not moralistic and harsh. He has a deep understanding of the Bible that he had at his disposal at that time. And so he wants to love and honour Mary, he wants to love and honour the Bible and the God of the Bible. And so he's in this great divide in his spirit, this great balance. How does he put both things together? I mean, he wants to do it quietly, doesn't he? And he comes to a mind to do that in verse 19. And then, and only after he's come to a mind to do it quietly, to honour Mary as much as he could, is there a revelation from a, an angel of the Lord? God speaks to him in the night time through an angelic messenger. Verse 20, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This human life in Mary's womb, says Sinclair Ferguson so helpfully, is not the fruit of her sin. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work. God, the heavenly father of all, has worked in such a mysterious way that Joseph is going to be a dad. But it's not his physical offspring. It's a deep mystery. 
God the Father shadowing over, moving over the person, the womb of Mary, and forming a human divine being, his incarnate Son of God, in the confines of her womb. And so with this huge tension, this balance from this godly man, Joseph, and this unique person, Mary, the angel says to Joseph, don't do what you're going to do. Your problem is fear, and what you need is to be courageous, verse 20. Joseph, you're afraid to take Mary home, but don't be afraid. Be a man of great courage. And Joseph has to accept these three great courageous pulls in his heart that we're going to think about. It it was true in Joseph's life, verse 19 and 20, and it's true in the life of everyone who has received Jesus as Lord and Saviour and King. And it's true of every Christian every day. These are three things that we will wrestle with, the three things that Joseph wrestled with as he is being told, don't be afraid, take courage, don't be afraid. You can't receive Jesus Christ as Lord unless you receive these three things. They appear on the screen, one at a time, or maybe all three at the same time. First of all, if you're going to receive Jesus Christ as Lord, if you're going to become a Christian, if you want to remain as a Christian, if you want to keep following Jesus one day at a time, this is what you have to weigh. This is what you have to count. This is what you have to account for. And this is what Joseph, I think, was wrestling with. You have to have courage from God to accept the world's rejection. You have to have courage to accept the world's rejection. This is what Joseph, I think, might have been thinking. I'm enjoying following God. I'm a righteous man. I'm looking forward to marrying my wife, to being Mary. And then his world is just upended. It's blown up by the plans and purposes of God. Look at this key word, verse 19. It's the word disgraced. He, wants to, he loves Mary so much. He wants to honour her. He wants to protect her. He wants to do what is right. He wants to shame, uh, sorry, save her from shame. He wants to avoid her from uh, avoid the scandal that's going to be put at her door. He wants uh, it to be not as severe as it's going to be for her. I mean, even if he marries her on that day, people will always do the sums, won't they? We do it today. Is it a shotgun wedding and phrases like that? So they might be thinking, hang on, well, well, Mary and Joseph, they were married on uh, January the 7th and uh, Mary gave birth on May the 10th. That doesn't add up. So how can Joseph avoid the disgrace that will be faced by Mary? Joseph realises there will be shame coming to Mary's world. He recognises that she will be ruined. She will be cut off from her family. She will live on the lip of poverty for the rest of her days. She will be socially marginalised. She would be written about. She would be spoken about. She would be ignored. No social security benefit at this point in history. She would be disgraced. Her life would take a very different direction if he pushes her out. Her life and his life, if he keeps her on board, will be... uh, open to public scorn and disgrace. It just doesn't fit the grid of social expectation. The world is not going to look at her right. She will, uh, she will receive rejection. She will receive scorn and disdain. I mean, what's happening in their world just doesn't fit the normal way of doing things. 
And this is probably what, Mo, uh, what Joseph is weighing in his mind. If I push her out quietly, then I can minimise. I can just turn down the volume of the disgrace. But if I have the courage and if I listen to the voice of the angel, which is the voice of God, if I don't push her out, if I receive her, if I keep her, if I receive Jesus Christ into my world and into my life, it's not just Mary who will get scorned and shamed and disgraced. I will feel that too. The world won't just reject Mary, they will reject me if I agree to keep on with Mary. The only way that I can save my self from experiencing disdain and disgrace is if I reject Mary and if I push out Jesus. Divorce is the only way because I don't want this child in my life. It will turn up my world on its head. I will be marginalised. I will be ruined. Do you see what's at stake for Joseph? It's not just Mary, Matthew wants to show us, who has to weigh the rejection that will come with this unexpected arrival. And it's not just true of Joseph, it's true of every Christian. It's brilliant that there are a few teenagers in the room, whether you're at school, whether you're at college, locally, Epsom, Yule, Chessington, it doesn't matter. Weighing up whether to follow Jesus is so difficult. I mean, it just looks so challenging. It looks like turning your back on Jesus and pushing him out of your life is the way to go for an easy life. Is it really worth following the claims of Jesus? It's just too much. It's just too costly. If I follow Jesus, then I think my friends will laugh at me. So the easy way for that not to happen is to not follow Jesus, or at least not to speak up when Jesus is spoken about or when they ask what's happening on Sunday morning in your life. And you know what, boys and girls and young adults, it doesn't get any easier as you get into your adult years as well. It's a lot easier to go the way of the world and to say no to Jesus and yes to self and yes to sin. And it's always been that way, whether your name is Joseph in the first century or whether your name is Jess in the 21st century. Jesus doesn't fit into the grid of Mary and Joseph. Jesus won't fit into the grid of the world in the 21st century. You follow Jesus, you're so arrogant, says the world. Not true. You follow Jesus and actually you're someone who's humble and you're someone who's got the courage to own your own sin. We'll think about that shortly. But the world will say, give me a break. You Christians are so arrogant, you Christians are so proud and it's just not true. And the world will say that in part because Jesus does not fit into the grid of the world in the first century or the 21st century. And the angel is saying, you need to take courage, Joseph, because you need to not push Jesus out of your life. You need to not push Mary out of your world or out of your experience. Joseph, take Mary to be your wife. Look at what she's done. Don't just follow the law of Deuteronomy 22 that says she should be out of your life. Don't reject Mary because of fear. Don't reject Mary because you think Jesus will turn the world upside down. He will. But take courage to accept the world's rejection, whether you're a 13-year-old in Chessington or Epsom and Yule, or whether you're a 35-year-old. It doesn't matter. Take courage to accept the world's rejection. That's the first thing that Joseph is weighing. Here's the second one. You're not going to accept Christ into your life unless you've got the courage to accept the adventure of his lordship. 
Now we're thinking about Christmas this year as an adventure. We thought about it in the life of Sarah and Abraham in Genesis and the adventure of Christmas is seen in the life of Mary and of Joseph too. Look at uh, what the angel says in verse 21. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people. In other words, don't you dare name him, Joseph. Let me tell you what his name should be. Now look, you know, if you've got a hamster and it comes, a hamster is for life, not just for Christmas, or at least for two Christmases and then their life ends. (laughs) But if you were to receive a hamster this Christmas time, you might call them Molly, like uh, she was called in our household, or you might call her something else. But you know if it's an animal, you know if it's a car, you know if it's a tree, you know if it's a stuffed toy, whatever it is, if it's something under your authority, then you have the authority to name it. Yep. You call your dog Melchizedek because you want to, Malachal Asbaz, because it's a long name. Whatever you want to, you can call something under your authority. You're a businesswoman, you're a businessman, you set up a company, you have authority to name it. Look at what's being said here. The angel says to Joseph, this son who's going to come into your experience and into your world, who's going to turn your life upside down, you have no authority over him. You are his earthly father, but his heavenly father is the one who will name him. Naming is not just labelling. Naming is authority throughout the Bible. Naming is superiority as well throughout the Bible. This child is not under your management, says the angel. He is the son of God. He is your Lord. He is your saviour. Verse 21, give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. If you want to receive Christ into your life, you do not name him. He names you, says the gospel. He will be naming you. And here's the rub. Here's the rub for you this morning if you're thinking about turning your back on Jesus. It would be easy for me to turn my my back on Jesus because then people won't laugh at me. People won't reject me. People won't uh, not invite me to stuff because they know that I'm a Christian. So I'm going to turn my back on Jesus and... uh, not have his acceptance because I want their acceptance. That's, that's the first rub that people have with Christianity. But here's the second one. If I become a Christian, will I be able to do this? Will I be able to do that? That's the second rub. It's not rejection. It's, it's lordship. It's authority. I don't, just don't want to come under the authority of Jesus. That's one of the things that people wrestle with, that they struggle with. They say, I can't believe in a God who would say this. I can't believe in a God who would make me believe or do that. God's word does not measure up with the word in 21st century UK. But the Bible says, unless you acknowledge Jesus as Lord, unless you recognise that you don't name him but he names you, you'll never come under his loving rule and authority. I mean, think about the life of Abraham. This is just a a revision, five minutes. Think about the life of Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, God came to Abraham and he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a great land. And I want you to go now. I want you to leave everything that's familiar and everything that's safe and everything that's secure. And I want you to go to a land that I will tell you about. And what does Abraham say? Just give me the GPS? No. He says, yes, I will. And he goes. And all throughout his life, through the ups and downs, and there are many downs and a few ups, at the end of Jesus's life, at the end of Abraham's life, almost that Dave so helpfully explained in Genesis chapter twenty-two, 
What's the main point of the passage that Dave explained? Here you have Abraham taking his son, his only son, the son whom he loves, the son of promise Isaac. And when it gets to Genesis chapter 22, verse 12, what does the Bible say? Now I know, says God, now I know that you love me because you did not hold on what was your most precious. Now I know that you love me because you did not withhold from me your son, your only son, the son of promise, the son who you love. God has put Abraham through the gymnasium of faith and he's seen that he's trustworthy and true and he wants to show that to Joseph as well. Joseph, do not push Mary out of your life. Do not push Mary and therefore Jesus out of your life. The one in whom there is inside Mary's womb, he is unique. Your son is your Lord. Your son is your king. Your son is your saviour. And so don't you go naming him. You're under his authority. He won't be under yours. That's what it means to be a Christian, to go on the adventure of Jesus' lordship. Will you come under his lordship at this Christmas, I wonder? Here's the third thing, finally. You can't have Jesus in your life unless you have the courage to admit you're a sinner. A sinner, a rebel. Notice verse 21. The angel says, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I think this is the scariest part of all. Jesus doesn't owe us anything. The Bible says all that we offer to God is our own sin. That's all we can offer him. And unless you are able to admit humbly that you're not just broken but that you're a rebel, that you don't, don't need some help, you need rescuing, that you can't live up to his standards in any shape, fashion or form, then the Bible says you're not ready to be a Christian until you get to that point. You don't need insurance, you need a rescuer, you need a saviour. And this takes great courage because it says, I have nothing to offer you, I have empty hands and I need to receive your gift of your son. That takes great courage. Not just a helping hand, I need you to come down and I need you to grab me and rescue me from myself. Without your mercy, I'm absolutely abandoned because you're absolutely just and you're absolutely righteous. Do you have the courage to say that? Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling, says a past generation, and perhaps we should say that as well. This is what it means to follow Jesus, whether you're in the first century, Joseph weighing these things, or whether you're in the 21st century. Are you willing to accept the rejection that will come from the world if you follow Jesus? Will you accept the adventure of Christ's lordship? You come under his authority, he does not conform to your authority. And do you have the courage to say, I need rescuing, I need forgiving, I need saving? I'm not quite sure um, what happened in Joseph's mind as he woke up after the angel had spoken to him three times in this one night. But look at verse 24. It's a remarkable sentence. Verse 24, it's just so matter of fact. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. That's a remarkable sentence. It's there in Genesis chapter 12, verse 4 or verse 5 that says, uh, and Abraham went. It's just a matter of fact. It's there in Luke's gospel when Mary says, responding to the angelic host again, She says, may I be the Lord's handmaiden? 
It's utter obedience coming under the lordship of King Jesus. It's not easy. It's profoundly difficult. But Mary and Joseph come under the loving authority of King Jesus. I'm not totally sure what happened that, uh, that night or that morning when he woke up. But to some very low degree, I think, Joseph kind of got a sense or a grasp or an understanding of the person that Mary was receiving into her life as well. Her life would be turned upside down forever. And Joseph now says, I will not push Jesus out of my life. I will not push Mary out of my life. What moved Joseph, I wonder? Mary was unavoidable because she was pregnant. She was needy. She needed help. She needed support. She needed care. But for Joseph, Joseph, it was absolutely voluntary. Joseph voluntarily identified with Mary so that her weakness and her disgrace socially became his. Do you know what would have happened to this single, teenage, pregnant, unmarried woman in that culture? Deuteronomy 22, whether you are a a betrothed man or a betrothed woman, if you broke the engagement off, death was the ultimate penalty. But the Romans didn't allow it in the first century. But the Jews sadly did it sometimes. Do you know what? She would have been out on her ear. She would have been untouched and untouchable. She would have been on the verge of starvation for the rest of her days. And there's only one way for her to be saved or rescued. And that's if Joseph gave up his life for her. The only way for him to be saved was for Mary to give up her life for his. And that's the heart of what it means to be a Christian as we come to the Lord's table. Where do you get the courage from? You want to be courageous in the face of rejection. You want to be courageous to uh, come under the lordship of Jesus. You want to be courageous to accept your own rebellion and sin. This is what you need to recognise. Mild he lays his glory by. Those famous words from that uh, lovely Christmas carol show something of the shock and scandal of what Jesus did. I mean, we just accept it, but Jesus did not have to come. That's the point. His weakness and his majesty were avoidable. But Jesus came, and he came in his weakness, and he came in his mildness. He wasn't coerced. Jesus Christ was not forced, but he came voluntarily. He came happily. He came freely, and mild he lay his glory by. He didn't have to. The only way that we could be saved is if Jesus did what Joseph did for his son. He identified with him. He laid his life down for him. Joseph laid down his life for his wife and for his son. And ultimately Jesus laid down his life for the whole world. Joseph looked at Mary losing her life for him and he was able to lose his life for her. That's what it means to be a Christian in the 21st century or the 1st century. It means to lay down your life no matter what the cost. It means if you're a Christian this morning and you look down on people who are hurting, you look down on people who are broken, you look down for people who are just kind of odd, if you look down on them, you've forgotten the gospel. You need to say, no, no. The ground before the cross is level. I can't look down on anybody. I identify with the whole world. I'm in someone in great need. 
and I'm happy to give my life for you. My life for yours. That's what it means to be a Christian. If you're like that, if you are someone who's broken, if you are someone who's poor, if you are someone who's got something in your past that you're deeply ashamed and guilty of. Well, isn't it interesting that God chose to come into this world in the womb of someone who was unwed, who was single, who was pregnant. And in so doing, God is saying, I don't care what you've done or who you are. I've come for those such as you, the meek and the lowly of heart. If your heart condemns you, Jesus Christ says, I'm greater than your heart. In Jesus Christ, you to me are absolutely lovely and beautiful. Do not be afraid to receive me, says God and his son. You can give yourself to him even this morning. You can give yourself to him afresh even this morning. Because Mary and Joseph, as we've seen this morning, are a picture of great glad surrender. Just read that remarkable sentence, verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. That's a remarkable statement of faith. No matter what it costs, I'm willing to take you home as my wedded wife-to-be. I'll take all the shame, all the scorn, all the rejection because I know something of the one who dwells in your womb. Let's pray together.